My guest this week is Welsh goal machine Helen Ward. The country's top scorer discusses playing for some of the top clubs in the country and going full circle in her career by returning to the club closest to her heart, Watford. Helen has maintained an international career after the birth of her two children. You may hear a small cameo from the wonderful Charlie and Emily, something that Helen apologises for. But for me, it's organic and refreshing to see as she's a mother first despite her tremendous on-field ability. Plus, as a teacher, I'm quite used to a bit of background noise from children. Listen now as we discuss her school life, turning professional, being involved in the women's game as it receives more recognition than ever before, and creeping closer to the goal of 100 caps for Wales. I hope you enjoy. Helen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. No, thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. Good. It's lovely to see you. Later on, we'll come to your very distinguished career, but I'd like to go back as far as we can. So obviously you were born in the London borough of Brent. And what are your earliest memories from growing up there? Yeah, so I was born there, but I was actually uh, brought up sort of a little bit down the road, sort of near, nearer to Watford um, okay. so in Hertfordshire. But yeah, just had a nice street with um, a lot of families with kids of a similar age uh, to me and my brother. About five doors down was my best friend forever, who... Her and she had three sisters, um, but her and her younger sister in particular, we used to hang out a lot, either in each other's houses or, or playing in the street, which you don't kind of see so much these days. But yeah, no. we were always up to something. There was probably four or five other families that we all sort of hung around together, mucking around, playing football, playing it, you know, whatever you kids do. Um, and that was kind of the majority of my childhood, really. You finish school, come home and just go out and be outside all the time. Obviously, things are, are very different now with the internet and gaming consoles and all that kind of thing. But um, no, it's really, really happy times and something that, you know, will live long in the memory. Excellent. Like you say, that's something that we, d- we don't see enough of anymore with technology and everything. It's brilliant, but obviously sometimes it's quite restrictive when it comes to children just being out and being free. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, my, I'm guilty of it myself with my kids. Of, you know, there's always an iPad or a TV on or something for them to do. But we do try and get them outside as much as possible. And, you know, hopefully they've got the best of both worlds. Of course. So it sounds like outside of school, you had obviously, you know, a lot of freedom, a lot of friends locally. And um, when we talk about in school, what sort of pupil were you? I was a pretty good pupil, I think. Um, my mum was a teacher at my primary school. So ah, okay. I kind of had to behave <laughs> by default. Um, I, 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 now uh, I remember being in reception and I'd just got over chicken pox but I was still covered in spots but being the, the person she was she, she made sure I was back in school as soon as possible and you know not missing out on my education so no I, I loved school I really enjoyed it I had a, a nice group of friends and I was you know I wasn't wouldn't say I was smart or clever particularly but I was okay I, I got by all right and you know I think I was good enough you know pleasant enough to teachers without causing too many problems but yeah just a happy happy sort of childhood I, I enjoyed both primary school and secondary school so I was quite fortunate in that sense but yeah school days were, were good fun other than your mother obviously uh, were there any <laughs> uh, were there any teachers that stood out for you that you remember yeah there's definitely a couple the one that really stands out is a, a guy called Mr Mr Buxton or Mr B as we used to call him sadly he's he's passed away since oh. I was at school which is which is a real shame but he was he was just a real good guy real loud character um was the only male teacher in the school taught year five and six uh but he was also the the coach of the football team so that's probably where my sort of connection came with him because as soon as I was old enough he had me um 
training and playing with the boys and there was there was no issue with that I mean we're talking what 1995 96 kind of time when girls didn't really play so much or it wasn't so common and if you did play you were mostly playing in a boys team but he he didn't seem to mind that at all there was never any problem with me me playing with the boys and there were two or three of us that that joined in with the boys and and I was lucky that the the rest of the lads themselves they didn't mind having girls play in the team they just thought yeah they're, they're decent players we'll have them in the team and even now I still get messages from one or two of them saying that they're keeping an eye on on my career and things and they remember setting me up for a goal against this team or that team and <laughs> you know taking credit for for what I've gone on to do so it was um he was definitely one of the one of the main sort of reasons why I felt comfortable playing football at a young age and probably a, a big part of why I, I continue to do it throughout into secondary school and then of course going into secondary school you have so many different teachers and um, there was one in particular Miss Stedman who she came in as a training teacher when I was in year 10 or 11 maybe um, and then once she finished her training she then came back and got a job as a teacher and sort of remembered me as the, the girl that played football and We've actually remained friends ever since, which is nice. Uh, but she, again, was real. She was really into her football. She's an Arsenal fan, but we won't judge her for that. Um, <laughs> but she, she was great and, you know, encouraged us, all the girls, not just me, but all the girls that were into football, really got a good team together and went on national finals and that kind of thing. So having someone that was fighting your corner, had as big an interest in football as you, again, at that time, wasn't too common in, in female teachers, at least. So, yeah, those are the two that probably stand out, but there, there are many others that I should probably try and mention, but it's so long ago now that I can't remember everyone's name. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, no, I'm sure they'd be very grateful, though, that they've stuck in your memory. You've touched upon it there with uh, being sort of a girl in a boys' team. Obviously, in the last sort of 20 years or so, grassroots especially has come a long way in terms of being, you know, having girls' teams as well. Uh, up until uh, this season, I was coaching a local grassroots uh, girls' team myself do you think it would have been any different for you if it had been sort of better then in terms of girls teams or do you think you you know would have carried on uh, regardless because I know one or two girls would still prefer to play with boys yeah it's different um I, I was quite lucky that although in my school team in in those first few years I was playing with the boys I actually joined Watford girls as we were then from probably the age of nine so mm-hmm. I was quite lucky that I had a girls team but I could still sort of knock around with the boys as well so I almost had the best of both worlds and it helped that our Watford team was pretty handy as well we won a lot of tournaments trophies leagues came up against Arsenal a couple of times in some in some competitions that was always a good battle and yeah I I I was fortunate enough to play in a really really good side um you know right through from the sort of under 10 up until senior football we always had pretty much success every season and you know that came with its pressures but also gave you that will to carry on because you were winning things and, and always it's always nice to win things and be good at something. It, it keeps you keeps you motivated and, and keeps you wanting to play. So yeah, I kinda I kind of had the best of both and you know, I'm grateful for that and I wouldn't change much if anything about my my early years for sure in football. Excellent. As you got sort of higher up in high school and you would have been in school and obviously training uh, in the evenings and playing at the weekends and stuff, once you finished high school was there any sense of wanting to do anything else or were you now, I've got more free time and I can focus on my football or did anything else sort of take up more of your time? Football was still really a hobby, even at the end of high school. Again, I was still playing in, in a decent team and I'd sort of just broken into the, the senior side at Watford. 
at sort of 15, 16. So that was sort of coming to the end of, of high school. It was obviously becoming more difficult in terms of having a social life as well. Um, but I, again, I was lucky that a lot of my friends, they understood that I played football and that's what I'd be doing on, on an evening or a weekend. I think we probably only trained once a week, maybe twice at a push of an evening. So that wasn't too bad. I could still do all the sort of school sports after school as well as going to team training. And then, yeah, weekends were taken up with games or whatever. It was probably more so in the sort of sixth form and university years where you missed out on a few more things and, and not going out on Saturday nights and that kind of stuff. But again, I, I could turn up and drive and, and no one would bat an eyelid because they knew that's what I did and that's what I wanted to do. But it was it was nowhere near professional at that point. There were no professional teams. I was just playing it because I loved it and there was no real idea of what that might mean in the future if you'd have asked me at, at 17 18 whether I'd still be playing at nearly 36 I probably would have laughed and said no not a chance but <laughs> here I am and uh, still still trying to keep going but yeah it's kind of just my, my career is almost paralleled with the growth of, of women's football and things have just changed almost year by year especially in those those times sort of around the age of 22 23 every year it seemed to get more and more serious and you know you kind of think you can make half of a career out of it did you have any what I'd call sort of normal people jobs as you were sort of uh, in your late teens and early 20s and stuff? Did you, were you working on the side as well? Yeah, so once I finished um, university, I went and did some coaching, not not just football, but like multi-sports and, and working for a coaching company where we went around schools and different sports clubs and, you know, ran holiday camps, that kind of stuff. Um, and then after that, I went and worked as a teaching assistant in schools. But it was always, right, what can I do that I can still play football at a weekend and train in the evenings? That was always, although it wasn't a paid thing at that point, that was always my priority. And then obviously, once I got involved with the Welsh setup, that kind of changed things again. I had to make sure that the people I was working for understood that every so often I might be have to go away for a week or 10 days. How does that work in terms of paid leave, unpaid leave? holidays that sort of thing obviously as you know in a school it's not easy to take time off in in term time so they're all those kind of things that um that I had to sort of navigate around but fortunately once more you know I'm, you can tell I'm a very fortunate person that I've had people around me that have been so supportive of, of my football career and have allowed me to take time and you know I think they appreciated that when I was at work and when I was doing my job I was doing it to the best of my ability and I was never never taking any shortcuts just to be on the football pitch so when I was in work I was working and, and then they let, let me have the time off that I needed to go and represent Wales. So what age group did you work with as a teaching assistant? Um, it was all primary primary school to begin with it was in a mainstream school and then I spent I'd say three years in a school special needs school oh, which okay. was amazing really really incredible experience um, and I did that right up until I had Emily my daughter sort of seven and a half years ago now but it was just an amazing place to work you know you'd, you'd lose a game on a Sunday you'd come in be a bit disappointed and then you get a big hug off a kid and you think you know it's not so bad or vice versa I'd be on, on cloud nine having had a good game I come in and you know something's not going quite right at the school you know you have to turn your attention to that so it was quite a nice nice place to work it, it grounded me and, and kept me sane a lot of the time um, and, and kept my mind sort of busy not always thinking about football which as much as it it's a great sport. It's not always, you don't want it on your mind 24 7 necessarily. You obviously started off at Watford, and although you had some perhaps mixed feelings about Arsenal, uh, you did you, <laughs> did you, uh, did you play for them for a short time? 
I did, yeah. I, that was the first time I actually got paid to play was when I signed for Arsenal. And that was that was probably the moment. It was I actually signed on New Year's Day 2009. And that was the kind of moment I thought, oh, this has got a bit serious now. You know, the biggest team in the country at the time. They, they recently, I think a season and a half before that, they'd won the Women's Champions League or the yeah. equivalent at that point had some of the best players in, in Europe and the world, let alone in the country. And, and there's little old me signing for them on New Year's Day to fill the boots of Kelly Smith, who was off yeah. to America. So it was a it was a big, big moment for me. And I was getting paid, I think, 250 quid a game, which was massive because I'd never had anything until literally the summer before that I'd been paying £100 a season to, to play. So that's when you kind of have to think, well, I need to take this this seriously I need to look after myself and it becomes more of a job um you have to turn up I mean I was pretty good at turning up to every session I hated missing sessions my brother actually used to take the mickey out of me because we used to have an award at Watford right from the under 10s up to the seniors called the commitment award and it was awarded to the player with the, the best levels of commitment basically and I always wanted it I never got it for some reason but I always wanted it but I think that kind of set me up for the future to because it was something I loved, but I knew I had to be there week in, week out to get better and help my team. And then obviously then signing for Arsenal, I literally had to be there week in, week out because <laughs> it, it, you, you were being employed by the club. So, yeah, as much as uh, I'm not a massive fan of Arsenal, um, <laughs> it was a great place to be as a, as a female footballer at that point. And, you know, they've, they've been groundbreaking for women's football. And Vic Akers, who ran the show, deserves a lot of credit for where women's football is now, not just Arsenal, but the whole of women's football in this country. Excellent. Uh, shortly after that, you moved on to Chelsea. How was being at Chelsea? Yeah, again, it was a, it was a change. I'd, I'd sort of my time at Arsenal had, had run its course, and you know I'd learned an awful lot. As I said, I was fortunate to play with some of the best players in in the country and in Europe. But my my time had come to move on, and I got a call from Chelsea just as the the Super League was being launched. So the Super League was just starting, which was, although it still wasn't professional at that point, it was sort of the, the biggest investment women's football had in a long time. So it was a it was groundbreaking. There was, I think it was an 18 league at that point. There was TV coverage. There was all sorts going on that just made it feel much more real and much more in the public eye a little bit more. Um, it was still training in the evenings. We still trained twice a week at Cobham. But again, being in around a place like that was fantastic. And, you know, even that from, from what it was then to now, as Emma Hayes has done amazing things and, and taken the, the club so far that they're one of the most dominant teams in the country. Leaving Chelsea, you moved on to Reading. You weren't a mother by the time you, when you were at Reading, were you? Was it slightly afterwards? Uh, yeah, I signed for Reading in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, that was when the second tier of the Super League had been introduced, WSL2, which is mm-hmm. obviously now the championship. So I signed for them in the sort of autumn and winter but the league wasn't starting until the following March because it was still a summer league but before the season started I'd fallen pregnant with Emily so technically I signed for them first but I hadn't actually played for them until I after see. I'd had her in September 2014 so mm-hmm. my my I think my league debut was then 2015 the the sort of spring of 2015 yeah so was it always a conscious decision to to stay with teams that were based in London you know you were starting a family you're from London was there ever yeah. any any point to move further away from London or have you always thought I'll stay local um I think logistically it always made sense because my husband obviously he's got a, a very good job and it's not it's not like men's football where you can say right I'm going to go and sign for Newcastle let's up six and, and pluck a house out of out yeah. of a, you know right move and, and off we go so I think realistically 
and and as it was still part time as well, traveling of an evening after work and things like that, or you know not so much after work but after looking after Emily all day, it had to be relatively close. I mean, Reading probably about forty five minutes to an hour journey, which was probably the max that I was really able to do at that point. And yeah, I think you know there was one or two times where I had sort of half conversations with people further afield, but it just became apparent it just wouldn't have been feasible and even if I did try it I probably wouldn't have got the best out of myself because the traveling would have taken its toll and you know there's plenty of girls that do that now and absolutely hats off to them credit to them because I'm I know for one that it wouldn't have wouldn't have suited my lifestyle so sort of a conscious decision but I think it just happened that way because logistically it was for the best for for myself and my family. Of course. Very recent news that's uh, come out of women's football. I think it was only last week that they've got clauses built into their contract now that um, allow them to have maternity leave and sickness cover. That wasn't the case, obviously, when you were you were pregnant with your children. What what has that done to the game? I think it's massive. You know, for me, I, I actually mutually con- uh, cancelled my contract at Reading. I mean, Jane Ludlow was the manager at the time and, you know, I was I'd, I'd played with her at Arsenal, I had a lot of respect and time for her and I didn't want to sign and then be like, well, I'm not going to be available for you to play, but I, I expect to still be paid. I don't know whether I could have done that or not, but it, mm-hmm. it never crossed my mind. And I was kind of like, look, this is this is the situation. I'm able to play up until this point, but you know, you're going to need to potentially replace me in your squad. So I don't want to take up A, a space and B, uh, some money that you might be able to put towards paying another player. So that kind of happened just naturally, as I said, whether I could have remained on my contract, I don't know. Um, it wasn't a professional one, of course, at that point. So it it may have become a bit messy if I had done that. Whereas now, of course, like you said, there's legally the clubs now have to pay an X amount. I think it's for the championship and WSL. I don't know how it works with some of the championship sides that aren't full time. I haven't looked fully into it. Okay. So obviously, I think there's probably six or seven fully professional teams in the championship and the others are sort of either a hybrid model where they're training more but they're still not quite full-time or they're they're still very much part-time and training three or four evenings in a week so I don't know the ins and outs of all of that I hope that I don't need to get to know them because I'm not planning to have any more children especially whilst <laughs> I'm still playing um, but no for, for any women that are playing that have maybe put off the decision or been worried about what's going to happen if they did fall pregnant I'm hoping that gives them some peace of mind that they have got something in place that protects them financially but also protects their contracts and their position within within a squad and a team obviously the crossover in seasons and if a contract ends mid-maternity I, I don't know how all that's going to work it's it's a difficult one but I'm, I'm hopeful that that it will make a lot of women's lives easier um, and make people allow people to make the decisions regarding their family and starting a family as, as if they would in any other job and, and not have so much to worry about that, that perhaps you don't in, in other walks of life. Of course. And obviously it's, it's another sort of big step forwards and, you know, there's something that like you say in other jobs that women just wouldn't have to think of. You can start a family, you know, when you're happy to, and then in football to think, Oh no, I've got to balance it around my contract. It's, it is very difficult, isn't it? In the last 10, 15 years, it's taken massive strides forward, so women's football. Is there one particular thing that you think has been the catalyst to that? Has it been sort of investment or TV rights or, you know, bigger audiences? Or do you think it's a culmination of lots of things? Yeah, I think it's lots of things. I think the investment that, that big clubs are making is 
is the forefront of it because if you see the likes of a, a Man City, Manchester United more recently, Arsenal, Chelsea, making these big investments, they're the biggest clubs in the world and it might make other clubs think, well, if they're going to do it, then maybe we should jump on the bandwagon. If they think it's worth it, then, then let's all join in. Um, there's still a way to go, of course, and there's still many clubs that, that can do better and I'm sure will do better when, when the time's right for them and when finances allow. But I think also adding to that, I think the quality of coaching has gone up and therefore the quality of players that you're getting has gone up. You've got more young girls playing football at a younger age, so then they're developing and you're getting more players to choose from. So I think everything's just naturally improving. Of course, the investment from sponsors and, and the recent Sky Sports and BBC deals have been huge because it's getting it out there and it's allowing younger girls to have role models to then bring on the next generation of footballers. So it's almost... I think we're trying to grow it naturally. We're going to need a helping hand along the way. Of course we are, you know, we're going to need people fighting our corner and, and backing it with, with investment too. But hopefully that's on the cards and, you know, we can we can really grow in, in a sustainable way. Absolutely. My local team is uh, is Wrexham and obviously it's not on the, the level, the, the, the men's team isn't on the level of some of the bigger clubs, so the women certainly isn't. But I've just noticed this season, especially just the, the attendances are going up a lot and sort of more girls and more women playing for that team and the under-19s mm. getting more recognition. Because um, like there's uh, a girl, Lily Jones, who's playing, just been called up for the Wales under-17s. And I know a lot of the, the local girls, you know, see her and think, you know, I want to do that. So it's it's just brilliant to see sort of uh, women's football growing right from the grassroots level all the way up to the top. Yeah, and that, that, that's what needs to happen. And it will take its time. You know, you sometimes hear people say, oh, but the gap from the top to the bottom is too big. But I think the top teams have to pull it up. You will get those times, you know, where there is a big gap. But mm -hmm. eventually that will filter down and, and the best players, or the players that were the best players that now aren't the best players will then trickle down into the next level. Those players trickle down and eventually you're getting more quality lower down yeah. that brings the whole thing up and it becomes a much more sustainable and, and interesting product for, for people to invest in, people to get involved in and, and of course getting people through the gates to watch the games, which is the biggest thing. Of course, yeah. In 2017, you kind of came full circle and you came back to Watford. How did that come about? Was it always always the plan to return or did it just things fell into place that way? I'd always loved the idea of it. Watford as a, as a club and as a, you know, both the, the men's side and the women's side have, have been through the, the mill a little bit in, you know, the sort of last 20, well, 10, 15 years, I suppose, yeah. since I've been well, I say 10, 15, I have been a season ticket holder for about 20 years or more than 20 years, you know, going through the different divisions, going through different managers, all that kind of stuff. And, and the women's team has been similar where there's there's been a lack of investment and there's been a little bit, then it's slapped off again. So I'd always loved the idea of it, but the time was never right before that. Um, then it came to 2017 and I was, I was pregnant with Charlie. I was between, I'd just left Reading the, the previous year at the end of the Super League season. And it was actually that gap was when it was then becoming a winter league again. So I had a, a period of time where I had Charlie and I spoke to the manager that was at Watford at the time and he's Keith Bonus. He's a, a really highly regarded coach. And I was actually just about to sign for Spurs. Um, and he got in touch and said, don't make any decisions. Come, come and have a chat with us. You're a Watford girl. We'll see if we can make it right, make it work. So I went down there and I spoke to him and they got, you know, some of the big wigs involved. From, from the men's board and 
the general manager was there and they were like, how can we make this work for you? And, and they've been absolutely unbelievable for me ever since. They've given, you know, they've almost created a role for me to work alongside the playing side of it. Um, so it's almost a dual career, but all within Watford. So that allowed me to sort of earn a little bit more money than I perhaps would just on a football contract um, and has allowed me sort of a foot in the door to, to help out with the media and marketing side of things at the club. And, you know, I still do that now. So what are we, four and a half years later, and I'm still still writing bits and bobs for the, the men's programme on the women's behalf, the women's programme, doing player appearances, all that kind of stuff. And that's allowed me to keep playing and, and training whilst having a, a young family that, that I can fit it all around. So that's kind of what made it work is, is how keen they were for me to come home, if you like. And, you know, I'm so grateful that I had that call to say, don't make any decisions just yet because it's worked out really well. And yeah, we've had a couple of seasons where we, we went down into the, the third tier and, things looked a little bit like Watford weren't investing from the outside, but I always knew that, that actually the decision to, to go down at that point, because it was there was all sorts of new licences coming into play for the championship and Watford decided against putting an application in at that point. But I always had reassurances that it was that was for the long-term future of the club because there were certain things they weren't happy with in terms of those licences at that point that they felt, it's a difficult one to word, they almost weren't sure how the league was going to be sustained and they needed assurances around how that was all going to be structured before they decided to invest. And, you know, a couple of years of COVID later and we finally managed to get ourselves back into the championship yeah. um, a bit later than planned. But we're back there now and, and you know, we're fighting to stay there as, as hard as we can. But, yeah, I think it was always a dream of mine to end my career at Watford. But thankfully, it's, you know, touch wood, it's, it's hopefully going to, going to happen and, and I'll spend my last couple of years at, at the club I love the most. Excellent. Um, would you say in that role as well alongside football you're uh, sort of using your qualifications as well because you've got a degree in is it broadcasting? Yeah so um, as if playing football and looking after a, a two-year-old wasn't enough whilst being pregnant um, I decided to, to do a degree a second degree in sports writing and, and broadcasting so I graduated from there in the summer of 2017 so I was I was massive at that point but I managed to get it done and, and finish the course just before I had Charlie and yeah I I try and use that as best I can I've done a few commentaries for, for the boys Wales games I've been involved in WSL comms and doing a bit on match of the day Sky Sports all those kind of things and just trying to sort of find my way around a little bit as best I can with a view to once I do hang up my boots maybe maybe doing it more often and, and getting more involved as, you know, as I, as I sort of transition into a, a non-playing career. Uh, jumping away from club football, you started with the England and the 23s. How did it come about that you sort of switched allegiance between England and Wales? So when I was, 21, 22, um, I got called into the England under-23s. I'd had a couple of good seasons for Watford at that point. And I went to maybe three England camps, but I just never felt settled. I never felt like I, I didn't really enjoy them. Okay. I wasn't massively close to any of the players. A couple of comments from coaches made me think, I'm not really sure they, they like me as a player or they really understand me as a player or how to get the best out of me. And, and it got to the point where I was dreading being called up and I thought that, that's not really right. You shouldn't dread to be called up for, to play international football. Of course. 
Uh, and the, the coach at Watford, he was also the assistant manager for Wales, um, Carl Lingham. And he, he sort of said in passing, don't suppose you've got any Welsh grandparents? And I said, well, I, I do actually. Why do you ask? He said, well, what do you think? And I was like, oh, okay. And I sort of thought, do you know what? Why not? And I had a teammate at Watford, Sally Wade, who who played for Wales and she had honestly held, it's the best thing you'll ever do. We went to Germany, played in front of, I think it was, 16,000 fans she said and the night out afterwards was unbelievable and I was like there we go that sold it for me <laughs> um but no in all, all jokes aside she made made it clear that it was a, a real really really good group of girls and you know a really amazing thing to do and go and play for your country so I went along to sort of a, a training session we actually did fitness testing so I'm surprised they ever went back again after doing that but the, the girls were brilliant and they said look we've been we've been after a number nine a goal score so long we'd love to have you and you know they call me a Simru because I'm born on this side of the bridge um, but I've never I've never felt like that ever been a problem I don't think I've ever questioned my loyalty or my my heart and my passion to play for Wales and you know it's the, the absolutely the best thing I've ever done in football was, was decide to go to that training camp and you know decide yeah this is the place for me and this is this is the country I want to represent and yeah 97 caps later um it's still the best feeling ever well I'm definitely glad you did because we'd have a lot less <laughs> a lot less goals on the board without you playing <laughs> uh, were, were there any obviously it sounds like you were welcomed in by the players were there any sort of friends or family that were sort of you know had any issues with you switching to play for Wales or was everyone quite accepting with it yeah, everyone was was pretty cool with it. I mean, my mum, my mum's parents were were the Welsh ones, and she's always sort of seen herself as pretty Welsh anyway. You know, and the rugby's on, she's always singing, singing the national anthem and getting behind the boys. So she she was obviously really proud. The the, the disappointing thing is that her parents had passed away before I made my debut, which oh. is, which is a shame because they would have loved it. My granddad especially, he was he followed my career. Um, you know, from being a kid and he came to watch me a few times play club football. So it's a shame he never got to see it. But yeah, I don't I mean my, my husband now he jokes with me saying that I'm not Welsh and that I'm a plastic Welshie. But um <laughs> even I know he gets goosebumps when the when the national anthem's on and hopefully I don't know if you heard him in the background. There, <laughs> I did, no, yeah. he <laughs> um he uh you know he he backs me and supports me and the, the kids have got their little Welsh kits. So I think most of most of the comments I've had in my in, in the past have been in jest and you know I think everybody's pretty proud and you know happy that I made that decision. You said about your husband there I challenge anyone to sort of hear a full stadium of people singing the Welsh national anthem and not get goosebumps. I think he's got more videos of the Welsh national anthem on his phone than I have so that kind of <laughs> says everything. That does say it all. <laughs> Um, going back to your Wales debut in September of 2008 did you ever think in a million years that sort of 13 and a bit years later you'd be three caps away from 100 no not a chance especially with two kids <laughs> I definitely wouldn't think that but no that 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 was a big moment and you know it was a cold and horrible night in Luxembourg I think it was the first time the girls had had women's fit shirts as well I mean we've been okay. back and forth since then but it was you know, we had the shirts hanging up and everyone seemed excited. And I was like, oh, okay, everyone seems up for this. And Jane Ludlow was in the team, who was a massive, massive player, obviously, at that point for, for Wales and for Arsenal. And I think they actually went 1-0 up early on, which was yes. not supposed to happen. Um, and then I managed to equalise quite quickly afterwards. And Jane's come round. She's grabbed my, grabbed my head and said, 
I love you, you can score goals. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I've made it, I'm okay. Jane Ludlow's a, a fan, so so I'll be all right. And yeah, from that minute on, it was just, it felt like the most natural thing in the world was just pulling on that red shirt. And I was lucky that, I'm probably fortunate that I scored in that first game because it, it took the weight off my shoulders really early on um, because I had, this, I had this expectation of, of being a goal scorer. So to do it so early on my debut, I think I scored another one either in the next game or the third game I played in and, and that kind of sent me on my way. Yeah. And I had a pretty good um, ratio so for a long time. I had more than one in two. Um, yes. But in recent years, that's kind of gone down a little bit. It's not far <laughs> off. but it's um, No, it's definitely not it, far off. It was, it was a decent ratio for quite a while. So do you think you'll be able to get three more and become a centurion? I'd love to. Of course, I'd love to. Um, I've got a lot of competition for, for places in the squad at the minute. You know, we can see how well the girls are playing. There's some fantastic talent, both, you know, established internationals, but some of the youngsters coming through are frightening, like the Carrie Jones, Esther Morgan, Kerry Holland. You know, they've really broken through in the last year or so. And it's exciting. You know, I almost can't wait to hang my boots up and become a fan because they're so, it's so good to watch them in training and, and in games. But yeah, I'm, I'm hanging in there at the moment. I don't want it to just be get to 100 and, and call it a day. I yeah. want to earn those three caps and, you know, hopefully some more. And then when the time comes to hang them up, then, then I'll know. But yeah, it would be, be lovely to get there. I can't lie. We're just going to jump over to our questions from the class, if that's okay. You have had some beautifully flattering drawings of you. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, yeah, scoring yeah, for Wales. They put all some <laughs> questions on. And obviously, as being in Welsh, they're all very sort of Welsh-themed. Um, oh, so I've, I've narrowed down some of the questions. Uh, we'll see how they go. So firstly, uh, one of the children would like to know, what's your most memorable goal that you've ever scored? Oh, that's a tough one. For Wales... There was one on my 50th cap. We played Belarus at the Cardiff City mm-hmm. Stadium. It was the first time we played there. Um, and it was about the 80-something minute. It was nil-nil. We were supposed to win the game. And I managed to get the ball sort of midway into their half, on the half turn, went past a couple of players and, and stuck it in the corner with my left foot. And that kind of made it 30 goals in 50 appearances, which yeah. was a really nice sort of rounded, rounded yeah. number. And, and it won the game, which is the most important thing. And there's a picture from that game where, again, there's something about Welsh people and celebrations where Jeff Bishop grabbed my head and sort of, <laughs> yeah, you know, and yeah, that 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 one probably stands out. But also, more recently, a goal I scored against the Faroe Islands two years ago. It was in the, the last qualifiers and I hadn't scored for Wales in a long time. It's been by far the longest I'd gone without a goal. Yeah. I hadn't scored one since before I had Charlie. So it was burning it was on two years, if not more. And... I scored the first goal in a in a four nil win, and although it in the end it didn't mean anything, we didn't qualify. But it was a real nice moment to think I've done it. I've had two kids, and I've still scored goals after having them having Absolutely. them both. And it was kind of like a, a box kick. So that's that was more of a personal one, more so than than one that meant so much for a team. But those two stick out for me for Wales. Thank you. What is the best thing about being a footballer? You just get to kick a ball around and have fun with your mates, really. Um, as I said earlier in, in the chat, that I played for so many years just because I loved playing. And that was the best time because there was no pressure. You were just playing and enjoying scoring goals, enjoying being with your mates. And I was able to deal with that at a young age. And then by the time it got more serious, I was at an age where I could take it on and, and deal with it better than perhaps I would have done if I was a 16-year-old now coming in with a little bit more pressure and this expectation of, of delivering on the highest stage. So 
yeah, I think it's just being able to go out and have fun with your friends and, and enjoy winning and scoring goals, that kind of thing. Don't get me wrong, there are moments that, that are hard and that are tough that you, you probably don't see so much of on Instagram, but no, it's, it's the best game in the world and, and to be able to do it and, you know, earn half a living from it, it's not too bad. The Swans was quite an interesting one. Um, is there a team that you haven't played for, but you would have liked to throughout your career? Oh, that is a good question. I mean, being a being a Watford fan and being able to play for the club is incredible. So, had yes. I not done that, that would have been that would have been one. But I mean, if you look at some of the best teams, you know, if I if I was to say I'd love to have played in in the Chelsea team currently. So, although I've, I've played for Chelsea, but for that in that particular squad yes. of players with the likes of Sophie Ingle, Sam Kerr, Frank Kirby, I think that would have been a lot of fun to have played in a team like that in my prime. Um, so not necessarily a club, but a, a group of players. I'd probably say maybe Chelsea at, at this point. Um, you know, getting to Champions League finals and, and winning winning trophies that would have been that would have been good fun. Absolutely, I can imagine you'd score a lot of goals when you've got those players around you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could just hang around the six-yard box and, and tap them in. That would be fine by me. <laughs> We've touched upon this one, but I, I quite liked it as a question, so I've included it. Um, with the Six Nations being currently on, England versus Wales, who are you supporting? Wales. Excellent. No question. Okay. No uh, question. Uh, that... Move on, next. <laughs> <laughs> no, fine. Is that the case for the whole family? Uh, the whole household? No. Well, see, I've, I'm, I'm accused of brainwashing the two kids. <laughs> if I ask them who they support, they say Wales. Uh, my husband's very much an England fan. My my dad will always support England. My mum, not so much. She's more on the red side and, you know, the bright side of the bridge. <laughs> what is your proudest moment on a football pitch? I think um, it's a similar theme to, to the memorable goal is my first appearance after having Emily. So mm-hmm. I never imagined having children while still playing football and coming back from it. So that first time that I... I'd got myself back in the Wales squad and stepped on the pitch for the first time for Wales since then. That was that was massive for me because it was, again, something that you weren't sure you'd be able to do. But to reach that point where you're being selected for your country and you've earned your spot back in the team, that was pretty cool. So I think that's something I'll forever be proud of. It's something that not many women have done. So that that's certainly up there. I've had a few really cool role models. The likes of Katie, she was Katie Daly, now Katie Sherwood. She was probably the the one in the Welsh team that had done that and had a had a little boy, she had Alfie and came back to playing and was still at a, a fantastic level. So those sorts of people have inspired me, but certainly my proudest achievement is is maintaining an international career whilst being a mum. Definitely. And finally, uh, I've got a few budding uh, year sixes who'd love to be able to do uh, football as a career. What advice would you give to someone who's sort of 10, 11, who are thinking, I'd love to do that as my job? I think the biggest thing is enjoy it. Make sure you're at a club and a place where you're happy because when you're at your happiest, you're going to play your best. Um, that's not to say that you shouldn't push yourself and you know demand the most from yourself, work hard, always listening to your coaches and, and fellow teammates because the chances are they're trying to help you. So don't think that they're, they're being nasty or having a go. They're trying to get the best out of you. So, so listen to them, take their advice on board. Um, yeah, just smile and enjoy it. It's the biggest thing. And if you keep, if you're still doing that in sort of six, seven years, and you're getting to that stage where you might be earning your first contract, then happy days. If you're still enjoying it, you're in a good place. Excellent. Oh, thank you for that. They'll be chuffed. They're, that's always their favourite part. Whenever I speak to a guest, they're like, "Have you asked my oh. question?" And what have they said? So they'll be really chuffed for that. Oh, thing. that's nice. <laughs> 
You've touched on the fact that you've had two children which is and carried on your club and international career, which is fantastic. You're coming up to 36 in April. How long do you, would you like to carry on playing in, in an ideal world? I mean, you ask everybody I've played with, I've probably retired myself about six times over already. Um, so whatever I say now, you can't hold me to it because it okay. probably won't happen. <laughs> um, but in, in an ideal world, I will be retiring in the summer of 2023 once we've been in the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. I mean, that's not a bad way to hang your boots up. That's, that's say, the ideal yeah. scenario. Yeah, to get to get ourselves to a World Cup. So that's what, 18 months time. Be the best I can be in that 18 months. And, you know, hopefully we can qualify and I can get on the plane and, and join the team and, and be out there. If that happens, who knows? There could be anything happening in that time. But um, I've got belief in this team that, that we'll qualify. Um, and I just need to make sure that I can get myself in the squad to join them. That'd be brilliant. After you do hang up your boots, you've talked a little bit about, obviously you've done some stuff where, to do with media and sort of behind the scenes. Is that the side you definitely rather go down? Would you be interested in coaching at all or would you prefer the sort of the media side? I do enjoy the media side. I like I probably talk a better game than a coach. Um, <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I'm happy with, with that. But I, I also wouldn't rule it out. I think both for Wales and Watford, I'd like to be involved in some capacity somehow, whether that's the coaching side, whether that's more behind the scenes, I don't know. Um, but they're both, you know, the FAW and, and Watford are both organisations that are, are real sort of embedded into me now. And if there's anything I can do to, to help give back to, to either or both of those, then I'd love to do that. But yeah, off the back of that, then still doing the, the media side of things and, you know, who wouldn't want to get paid to go and watch games of football and talk about them? It's it's an ideal job when you can't play it. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I want anything to be just, you know, one single track. There's lots of different avenues that I'd, I'd happily go down and, you know, almost be freelance in as many ways as possible and make life as interesting as I can. Yeah, it sounds really good. We've had a brief appearance in the background from Charlie and Emily. It's been lovely <laughs> to see them. Uh, do they share your love of football? Not quite. I think they okay. both enjoy coming to watch it. They enjoy, Emily loves coming to the, the Cardiff City Stadium for the game against Estonia earlier in the campaign. She had a great time there and, and Charlie's just about getting to the age now where he can sit through a match and, and, and sort of half, half know what's going on. So that's nice and not necessarily into playing it. Charlie, unfortunately, he was at the age where I'd take him to like a little kickers or something, but then COVID hit. So he, he kind of missed out on that and now he's He's in nursery five days a week. It's a little bit more difficult. Um, but we will find the time when I've stopped, stopped my own career and stopped being selfish. I'll, um, I'll have to find the time. But I think Emily's more likely to do gymnastics or dance. Um, but whatever they, they find they're interested in, I'm, I'm going to help them and support them as, as much as I can. If they got into football, then happy days. But, you know, it's not something I'm going to try and force upon them in any way. Of course. This time last year, we were schools were closed and uh, you were homeschooling. And I, I did see something online about at that point, it was a case of you, do, you didn't know if you were going to retire during that because it was all up in the air about when football was going to resume. Just tell me a little bit about how difficult that point was, because I very much sympathise with people schools being closed. I didn't want them closed. I know a lot of teachers didn't want them closed. I was homeschooling as well. So just talk me a little bit through about how, how that was last year. Yeah, I think um, because initially when the whole sort of country shut down and there was 
barely anyone working or, you know, sport had completely stopped. It was a bit of a novelty. The weather was nice. Everybody had stopped playing. So you didn't feel like you were losing any ground. Yeah. Um, then you sort of fast forward nine, ten months and certain areas of football were able to carry on. And unfortunately, at that point, Watford were in the third tier. So we weren't yeah. classed as elite. So on the one hand, I was able to go on international duty as an elite player, but then at club football, we couldn't train or play. So yeah. I was worried that, well, if I'm not training and playing every week, how am I going to get myself in the Welsh team, in the Welsh squad? Um, and if I did do that, how am I going to be, how, how can I compete at the same level when I haven't, haven't been training or playing? So it just sort of overwhelmed me a bit. As I said, it was January. The weather was horrible. I'm not great in January anyway at the best times let alone when you're sort of stuck indoors Charlie hadn't started school at that point but Emily was missing school missing her friends and it was just a real sad time for so many people and I just think yeah I got a bit overwhelmed and thought I'm not sure how I'm going to do this my husband was back at work he wasn't you know furloughed at that point either so I kind of just felt like I was a bit alone Mm. um, because I you know I rely on my family so often and I wasn't able to do that at that point but, you know, it was kind of one of those moments where I put the tweet out there and I had such an overwhelming response. I thought, well, I can't follow through with this because too many people have got my back. And, and I didn't want that to be the way my career ended anyway. I want my career to end on my terms or, yes. you know, through something that's, that's not as crazy as, as COVID. So I sort of knuckled down. I went on loan to a club that was in the championship and, mm-hmm. you know, got, my, got myself going again. So it was just a real real tough moment as it was for so many people around the world at that point you know and hopefully hopefully those people were able to get through it just as I was excellent and then obviously we fast forward 12 13 months thankfully it's it's a lot more positive um you've got the the end of the well the back end of the season now with uh Watford what does the rest of 2022 look for you or what are you hoping it it looks like well, we've booked a holiday, but fingers crossed we're actually going to get to go on this year, uh, which will be our first holiday abroad as a family since, I think, 2016. So we're hoping wow. that one comes off. I'm hoping I haven't just jinxed it. Um, but no, in terms of football, obviously, like you said, we've got we've got uh, the Pinatar Cup coming up next week in, in Spain, um, which will be great. Three, three really good games um, to prepare us for the France and Kazakhstan qualifiers in April, which will really set us up and see where we're at in the group in terms of qualification finish the season off with Watford a little bit of a break in terms of qualifiers for Wales I think we'd have a friendly maybe in June mm-hmm. um, and then back to it in September where we have the final two qualifiers and then potentially playoffs so still lots to go on in there uh, in 2022 it's a I mean January felt like it took a year to get through already so <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, there's still lots lots to go on in 2022 but hopefully this time next year I'll be preparing myself for a, for a summer in Australia and New Zealand and readying myself to hang my boots up on the on the Gold Coast. <laughs> Absolutely. That would, like As you said, that would be an absolute dream way for it to end and I really hope that that's how it goes for you. I'd just like to obviously finish off by just saying thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really nice looking through sort of your life and uh, hearing about how it's all worked. And I really hope you get to end your career in the way you want, because obviously that's the dream for sort of anyone really, isn't it? So that'd be brilliant. So thank you very much. No, thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. And there we have it, a huge thank you to Helen, especially as she spoke to me the week of being called up to the Wales squad for the Pinatar Cup. 
Hopefully by the time this goes out she will have her 100 caps and will be looking to add to those in this year's World Cup qualifiers so best of luck to her and to Wales. As always thank you for listening and you can follow the podcast by searching for Talks with a Teacher on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter as well as clicking to be notified for new episodes on your chosen podcast app. Thanks again and I'll see you soon.